The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Okay. So we got we got the girlfriend stuff out of the way. Yep. So she won't get you in trouble this podcast. And uh, the old man comments of hating the young folk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got those too. <laughs> I've been I've been an old man like that for over a decade, at least. Ah, uh, well, I'm entering my official old man. I guess I don't know. I think by the time by the time I turn twenty six or so. I had already turned into that guy that tried to avoid going to bars. I never minded house parties yeah. or, or, or hanging out with friends in, in, in that kind of, you know, re- more relaxed social atmosphere. But as soon as someone turned up the stereo really loud, all I wanted to do was too leave. loud. Well, it's not even get too loud. I mean, <laughs> I work in a studio. Guitar players are never quiet. Drummers have no volume control. And oh, live awesome shows, all you're trying to do is keep up with the volume. Yeah. But yeah, if someone expects me to have a conversation amongst all of that, fuck no. Fuck no. I don't like renting um, for some people because they want... Four PS15s for a hundred person hall so that the the back of the the group or the back of the crowd can hear the music as they try to justify it. <laughs> and I'm, I, all I'm thinking is like you got a 4500 peak watt speaker and you want four of them. <coughs> well, see now, if they knew what they were doing, that would be fine. Well, if they knew what they were doing, they would have only grabbed two at most, and they would have known that that would be still too loud. What kind of occupancy are we looking for? A uh, hundred people. Yeah, so a hundred people. I used to go on a... When I was working live sound, we used to go on the 10 watts per person capacity. And we, we had a minimum system of... 12,000 watts anyway, but, um, but we used to like that, that was our, that was our minimum. If there was a hundred people there, you need a thousand watts of power, right? Like that's what you need to cover that adequately, um, for whatever show you're doing. Right. Yeah. And that's more or less what I recommend is a thousand watt program speaker. Right. But it was, it was, like I said, it was standard for us to take 12, plus thousand watts to a 300 person venue that would only have a hundred people in it. But the point was we knew 
we knew that we didn't have to run the system hard. We wanted it to sound clean, and so we overpowered everything. Yeah. But we're not going to blow anything up because we're not we're we're smart enough to gain stage everything properly. We're smart enough to not have to turn up everything. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of the people though that rent from me don't know necessarily how to do that. And that's exactly the problem. And they think uh, they have to go as loud as possible. Mm. And if you give them the ability to go louder than they need to, they will do it. Um, interesting note on the the old pawn shop. Now it's called the, the Forge. Forge. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Andrew Radcliffe, um, great tech, yeah, uh, young younger guy, but um, is uh, is running it. And I, I subbed for a band um, that played there a couple weeks ago, I think. Oh, they're already operating? Yeah, they had a, they're, they're kind of doing like a soft opening now. Okay. Um, because there's, there's still a whole bunch of renovations going on. There was, that was, that was the, the, th- the first Thursday of the super cold spell. Right. That we had a few weeks back. I, I guess the cold spell just kind of ended on Saturday or Sunday, but, um, the, the, the furnace wasn't even working hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It was pretty awful. Um, even like, like at what well, never got to capacity, but there was probably a hundred people at the bar at the peak and us rocking out on stage. were still fucking cold. Well, it was stupid uh, cold under the lights and, jumping around and all anyway. Yeah. So that, that, that's not the point of the story. No. So I was there and he was talking about, he was talking about this, um, low end problem that he was having. Um, cause un- unfortunately every, every system seems to be built around subs instead of, instead of base bins. Um, and he had, I think he said he had four subs buried across the front of the stage and he was having a lot of trouble getting, good definition out of the low end. Um, and he wasn't sure why, and based on what he was describing, I wasn't certain why either until I had a chance to listen to the band before we played and the band after we played and on stage, couldn't, couldn't tell what was going on, but, um, but as it turned out, and I, I should probably have actually told him this because I left and he was busy, so I didn't, I didn't get a chance to mention it. But as it turned out, there was just too much low end going on that it was muddying up everything. And if he'd simply turned down the low end, turned down the sub, yeah. then it would have cleaned everything up and, and the, there, would have been a, there would have been the proper balance there. I should text him yep. that. I should text him that. Yeah, but his his solution, the 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 first thing that he that that he came to, as as a as a potential solution was, he needed to go out and get more base bins or more more subs. Yeah, I don't know. No, because all you're doing is amplifying the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I but, mean, but, that, but that's the thing. You figured is, it is, out. Is but. neither of us neither of us knew what the problem was until. I sat in the audience and paid attention to it. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's got that, he's got that system 
the new live engineer, and I don't know how you, where you stand on this, but the, the, the new live engineer, um, I feel like they are missing, and I'm not talking about the pro guys. I'm talking about like the, the local, the local guys, this, the city guys, this guys that are largely considered amateur. Okay. Um, but still do it as a, like as a part-time career or something, right? They seem to be missing one key component that really frustrates me not having it in the chain. And they seem to do things, they seem to try to fudge it because of digital consoles. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they don't have a hardwire crossover running out to the, to all this powered stuff. Well, a lot of speakers have that stuff built in now. Yeah, I suppose. But when they're buried in the back of a stage... Yeah. Right. And, 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 and so much, so many of these, so many of these things are being used for like, like these subs at a place that's largely going to play, going to play hard rock and heavy metal and occasionally have a hip hop show. I don't think they need to- as many subs as you've described. Well, exactly. That. <laughs> on the rocks, on the rocks runs two subs. And that's a 400 person venue that is, that is busy with music. Yeah, three to six nights a week. If you're gonna do rock to metal kind of thing, I think at most you need two subs. But it's it's not even about the subs. I mean, like you could have that many subs, and you could just you just run them not as aggressively, or even unplug a couple. Yeah. But but instead of having instead of having an actual crossover, he's running he he's running on his on the Behringer X32. Okay. He's running. Um, a stereo auxiliary out, which is stereo. I don't know why you would need stereo for subs. Stereo auxiliary out. I take that back. I'm not 100% sure he's running stereo. It doesn't matter. Uh, there's still people who run stereo into subs. That's crossed over at a low, a low range. You know, and, and, and he's not one of those guys that's crossing it over at like, like 40 hertz and running his subs like that. But he's, he's running the subs at, I think he's. I, I'm guessing. I think he said somewhere in the neighborhood of like 125. Um, and it might be a little high. But that's the. But that's the thing is, if he was running bass bins, he could run that higher. He could run that maybe as high as as 160 to 250, and get great low end response out of a bass bin that would sound better. That you wouldn't be dealing with a sub. Because you don't need sub. I mean, every every club should be should be high past it at like twenty five or thirty hertz anyway. Well, yeah, right. Um, okay, I almost do that to my music. But he's also running, unless I unless I misunderstood him, he's also running his tops full range. What kind of tops does he have? Like uh, pair lines. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I think that depends on what speaker he's got for the tops. And yeah, if and, those and, and they, tops can handle. They probably the had. Range. They probably had a built-in crossover to to filter out. So if end, you have that many subs, you may as well push the with sub button. What? Well, most tops, at least from what I've noticed, with renting yeah. as much as I do, like at least Yorkville does this. They have a button where it's like. With sub, 
and then it like cuts off out. everything below Except 100 hertz. Oh, okay. Cool. So, I mean, yeah. if you have, what was it, three subs? I think he had four. Yeah, you have four subs, then you your tops should yeah. be... And, and he might have he might have actually done that. Like, I, I, I wasn't there for the install. Um, yeah. And, and he had, with the exception of this low-end problem, he had it sounding pretty good. So he, he, he was clearly doing something something right in there. Yeah. thing I like about Yorkville's Parasaur series is they got a boost. It does that um, voice of God thing. <laughs> nice. When you do the with sub and boost. Cool. So it, 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 it filters off below that cutoff frequency and then boosts right there too. Yeah, boosts right there. It's... Ah. It sounds good, does it? Oh yeah. <laughs> you need a awesome speaker that'll give you a little bit more punch in the kick drum without having all that low end stuff. Mm. Sweet. I've started I started doing that, eh? I just I just finished a project where I the the kick drum I totally did the Andrew Shep's kick and snare trick. Um but on top of that, I I, I started I started I started boosting like 120 1 25 ish in a really tight, really tight bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, just on the kick, just to give it that little not so low thump. Yep. Fucking love it. Like I'm not I'm not in love with it in the studio here, but when I listen to it on smaller speakers or or laptop speakers or headphones or iPhone like earbuds or whatever or even in the truck it just gives it this it gives it this punchiness without all that low mess that i used to make all the time (laughs) (laughs) do you know what the andrew shep andrew shep's um kick snare trick um i probably watched a video where he described it yeah but I'm, i'm i'm struggling to think about it Okay. I, watch, I watch a lot of Andrew Shep's things, so. I had a I had a maintenance day last week. Last week or maybe it was a few weeks ago. Um, <coughs> I want to, I'm, I'm totally giddy about, about all the problems I've solved over the last three or four weeks uh, of wiring. <laughs> I had, dude, I, I shit you not. We had one of the, uh, one of the Joe Meek channels. Yep. The, the cold line was soldered with it was it was one of those one of those soldering sockets on the yeah. on the jack that was super mega deep and so the wire was stripped pushed all the way in but the solder never fully melted the jacket around the wire but also didn't go all the way in to make contact with the with the wire itself and so there was no physical contact between between the between the the uh, the plug and the wire on the negative. Oh, I know. And I'm like, so I, that, I pulled, your problem with that. I pulled device. that cable out like that, and and I and I inspected that soldering job at least half a dozen times over the last six months, and it always looked fine. But I it came down to I just don't know what else is gonna is going on. So I started. I literally decided I'm going to unsolder this cable, pull it out, 
put in a new cable and solder in a new end and see if that works. Like that was where I got to. Anyway, I started with, I started with, I started with, wait, what's that? Whatever pin that is. I pulled it out and I'm like, there's no solder on the wire and the jacket is still intact. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, so I just, I resoldered it and made sure that, made sure that it was, it was making contact. And now you're happy with the, now it's balanced. All of the sends on the console, all of the gear in the rack, excuse me, is all balanced, but within a decibel. Did that solve m most of your patch bay problems? Most of them. There's still, there's still some problems connecting with the Orion on a, on, on a few channels. Okay. And I haven't, I haven't gone through and tested all of the return channels on the console um, and isolated those. But yeah, all the sends, all of the microphone inputs are all, all up to snuff. With the exception of that, that one, channel 30, I think it is. Maybe it's 31. I bet it's 31. Uh, the channel where we noticed a problem when we were, before we installed, right? Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't remember which channel that was. Mm -hmm. I just remember that we found that one. <laughs> yeah. That had a problem. So... But yeah, it's <coughs> slowly we're a year and a half in to the console, but <laughs> Okay, so the Andrew Sheps thing. Yeah. The Andrew Sheps kick and snare trick. Um and I he was talking this he was talking about the um the Chili Peppers record, Californication that he had done, and how he hates to use reverb for anything. Right. So what he does was he, he, he does a parallel, he does a mono parallel compression of the kick and snare in the same channel and runs them through just a smash type of compressor. Yeah. And it took me a while. And, and, and he just, he just uses the, the resonance in the room or the, the reverb in the room out of this smash as his kick and snare um, reverb. Okay. And goddamn, did it not sound awesome? Like it, it, it took me it took me a long time to dial in the right settings on uh on an eleven seventy six plugin, but fuck did it sound good. It 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 brought out it brought out this really nice ring with no extra symbol uh out of the kick drum and it brought out this really nice sizzle out of the snare. And again, with no extra hi-hat involvement. It was just brilliant. Hmm. Usually when I think smash with 1176, I'm going for the distortion sound as well. Which, yeah. And when you have paralleled with a drum kit, it can sound pretty cool. Right. Right. I, whenever, I'm, whenever I'm distorting something drum kit-wise, I'm usually leaning towards the... Uh, the waves Kramer master tape. I really like how that thing saturates and then you just bring it up subtly underneath. Yeah. It's got a pretty good, dirty sound. The Kramer compressor though. I, I like that as a, it's a very transparent compressor. I found like you could be aggressive with it and it, it doesn't really. That's what I find. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I I just know that when I use it heavily, I I, I enjoy it. I've never tried. I've never tried it. Well, most compressors, I won't do more than like 3 dB unless I'm going for a certain sound right. out of the compressor. The Kramer compressor, I found that I could do like a 6, 7, 10 dB compression without... Without feeling it or hearing it. Yeah, much. without getting that weird sound that you get from cool. heavily compressing something. Yeah. Um, I did a, uh, a mix for Soapbox Duo. Um, we did a, a, a one song live in the studio, mostly live, um, recording of them with their full band. Uh, and Janessa, the girl, um, made a comment that she feels like there was no compression on her voice in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, cause her last record was, um, the a guy lot that, of compression. Well, the guy that made it squashed it. And it sounds squashed, which is unusual because he he's usually known for like really good, clean, awesome sounding work. Okay, so anyway. maybe it was just not his record. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what I think. His his stuff sounds amazing. His stuff his stuff just won him him and his wife a, an award for seventy five thousand dollars or something, um, and yet. On, on this record that he made for Soapbox, it was not award worthy. <laughs> anyway, so not not the point. But when she when she made that comment, I went through all of the compressors zzz <laughs> that I had on her voice, and I had I had two different DSers. I had a compressor during tracking, uh, two compressors on her voice um, at, as inserts the bus compressor and then, or like the vocal bus compressor and then the, the master bus compressor all working on just like you say, like a, you know, one or two couple decibels each, yeah. just knocking things down to sound nice and That's smooth. how you get a lot of compression without sounding like you're compressing the life out of something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It almost makes me wish that there was an RNC, um, plug-in, but the RNC is so cheap that it's worth just having. Yeah, uh, it pretty <laughs> much costs what a compressor plug-in costs. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and it's hardware, so yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking, I was actually thinking about getting, um, getting a pair of RNC stereo compressors um, in the funk logic rack. Have you seen those? They just, they just rack mount, um, two of them together on a, uh, but and it's, they're two, stereo channel units, aren't they're they? Stereo channel units. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing is you'd have two stereo channel units right there. So you'd have two stereo channels. Yeah. Which I love my bus compression, man. And I would love to move all of my bus compression out into the analog world. Cause right now, Right now I have I have um two bus compressors that are actually bus compressors that are that can actually act in stereo. Right. And then I have another pair that can't be linked, but they're really nicely stereo balanced. But they can't be linked, so there'd definitely be that that swing back and forth. 
And then I have another stereo pair that's supposed to be matched, but is not at all. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's my fault in the way it's set up, but yeah. Anyway, um I'd love to have I'd love to have another another pair of cuz and and those those RNCs sound great they they sound great on drums. They sound great on they sound great on everything cuz they're so clean. Right? Part of them being clean though is that they run through three compressions. Yeah. Exactly. So when you are hitting when the meters say you're hitting six dB, like you're actually hitting like eighteen. <laughs> no, not true, but but you're uh, you're hitting a lot more. Three well, okay, sorry. Let me uh, let me shut up and let you finish your sentence. Well, I, I don't know the actual electronics of it. I just know that it's like if I hit two dB. If all the compressors are doing 2 dB, that's like 6 dB total. Mm. That's why right. RNC mode is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably, I'll probably just mail it in and um, get another, another of the 500 series um, and then get another 500 series of the RNLA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably just do that instead of getting... The little box... Yeah, yeah. Because then I can, I they're easier to use for as mono channels as well. But oh, I don't have problems using mine as a mono channel. No, yeah, you're right. Um, it's but it's it's an unbalanced signal, right? Yeah, there's that. Yeah, and I would have to. That's that's that was the other thing that that was adding cost to it was I. I was looking at at them as, and thinking that I would need to I would need to get a eight line balanced unbalanced and back um converter rather than just plug in the balance signal into the unbalanced thing and then take the unbalanced signal out and plug it into balanced channel you know well you're not running lengths where it would make a big different difference would you no no but Excuse me, and, and you're right. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you're not running like 30 feet away. Still. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand it because I've, I've, I've had this conversation with like lots of people who are like fresh out of school or going into school. You're calling, they don't me, a, you're calling me a noob? No. <laughs> You're just con- you're just too concerned about staying in balanced. Well, which I understand why you'd be concerned, but at the same time, if you're just is, running six, there is inches, a signal loss. There is a signal loss, right? Yeah, but I don't know if it. I don't know. Six decibels is significant when you're. But I can always boost six decibels. Yeah, yeah. I think. Is it that significant? <laughs> no, it's not. You're right. You're right. Still. Whatever I end up doing, I'm, I'm not sure. We'll see. All right. I haven't done it yet. I oh, I know. And I, I have no money, so. 
<laughs> and but, you'll ask me and all your interns like six or six, seven times yeah. before you actually decide what you think what you're I should do? do. What would you do? I have no idea, James. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, James. It's not that I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just usually working as you're talking to me and then I forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> I should only text you after 10 p.m. 9 p.m. I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give okay. you that hour. That's fair. <laughs> I'm only allowed to text you from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Unless you text me first. And you can text me all day, Monday, Tuesdays too. Although usually one of those days I'm here anyway. So you'll pick my brain yeah. if you had a question. Yeah, exactly. We'll just do it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Battle of the Bands. I, um, I, I as I was telling you before the show, I, I, I judged a Battle of the Bands for Yeg Music. And I was mixed in my reaction to it. Now it, it was their first. It was their first attempt at putting something on, and they they didn't call it Battle of the Bands, but that's essentially what it was. Um, they placed a huge emphasis on on crowd interaction and crowd response. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and the band, and and so. The band that won, in fact, they did a they did a solo act portion and a and a band portion, <coughs> and of all the solo acts, all of them were great. And it was it was so hard to pick a winner that crowd reaction became a big part of it. Even though the first act had no crowd there, people just hadn't shown up yet. And that's why that crowd interaction thing sucks. Yeah. But the the bands all had the bands all had good um, good crowds. Definitely had more by the end of the night. Um, but yeah, they 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 all had good crowds, and they were all the audience was all pretty responsive to everything. Uh, but the last band was far and away. They were far and away the least talented, even though they were really good. Right, they were far and away the least talented and the least proficient at their instruments, but head and shoulders more entertaining, because they only played cover songs. They played songs that the crowd knew. Um, they hit, and because they're a cover band, they hit a ton of cliche. Um, including they did. They their opening song, was, was. Uh, the theme to the Lion King movie. <laughs> and, and I mean, like it went over so well and they pulled it off really good. Um, and the crowd was loving it. Uh, but they weren't, they weren't specifically tight and the singers weren't specifically great, although they were really good. Uh, and the band wasn't, the band wasn't as good as, as the other bands. No, it was just, it, I had, I tried to have that discussion because before I even, this is, this is the trigger for me before I even handed over my, my scorecard, they'd already decided that the last band had won. 
that that the the um, the cover band had won. And oh, and and they had a they had a category. I really liked this category um, because it allowed for less less popular bands to to earn extra points. That they had a a category for originality. Okay. And the, the the point was, as they described it to me, the point was not so much originality of songs, like being original songs, but that the way things happen over the course of their performance are original, or maybe there are original compositional elements, or or maybe they do like like the cover band if they do if they do um, a cover song in a specifically original way you know, they can earn points for that. Right. And I found, I found that category to be pretty cool because that allows, that allows people that, you know, or bands that don't, aren't specifically good at writing songs to still be, still be original and, and, and earn points and not be, not be excluded because they don't have their own songs. Yeah. Right. And, and so that was really cool. But again, the, the band that won, they didn't do anything original. It was cliche after cliche after cliche after cliche, um, including a rap, which you know was part of the cover. But um, uh, I'm, it, it, but it, it it bothered me that whole thing, and I I made a whole bunch of notes on the back of my scorecard throughout the night because I I kind of felt like this is where the the contest was going, right? But. Uh, uh, I'm not specifically note saying crowd interaction having this much weight is kind of BS. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the whole it was 50 points was the max. And I I had I think I had one artist rated at 28 and the rest were all between 31 and 37. 37 was the highest overall mark that I'd given anyone. For crowd interaction or just no, just 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 total in general. Okay, yeah, because they had they had a there were there were four categories, um, music performance, which I took as you know how good are you at your instrument, at your instrument, your your whatever, right? Yeah, um, was ten points. Crowd uh, stage presence and crowd interaction was another ten points. Um, originality was fifteen points. And audience, they said crowd applause was the final category, and that was 15 points. So they, there's two categories that. Well, they, they, there, was, there, there was crowd interaction, so how much is the band interacting with the crowd? And then a separate category for how much is the audience responding to the band. But still, like, yeah, there should be. That shouldn't even be a thing on there. Well, the first band, as you said, doesn't have a crowd built up because people are like the first band is deep by, by default they lose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think Alex Webster from Marcovello was the, uh, he was the first act, uh, the first solo guy. And, and, you know, it was blistering cold. It's hard. And he's starting at seven. The last band starts after midnight. It's hard to get people out at seven. <laughs> hard to get people out period on a cold night. But well, even 
now that I think of it, like if it is after midnight, like people will probably leave by around 10, 11. There's too. some of that. Yeah. So but, but new crowd yeah. comes in, like the, the more drinking crowd comes in after 10 and usually stays, especially on a Friday, Saturday night. They usually yeah. stay. Yeah. Until... If it's Friday, Saturday, I guess that's less of a, a yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and it was, but it was Saturday night. I know me with shows and like some of the younger people get mad at me for doing this because <laughs> I'm, you are a pretentious bigot or something. No, just <laughs> a lot of people, younger people in bands and stuff all do the whole buy tickets to my show, be there for the first band, stay there for the last band. It's just like, no, I already paid my ticket in there. So regardless, everybody who played that night got my portion of the money. So why do I have to stay? Like, I have work in the morning or something like that. Like, no, I'm not staying. You, your show, you, you start at midnight, but I have to go to bed at 10 or something. Like, sorry, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm not staying. Or well, and especially if, when you, when you, when you don't know the other bands, you don't know if they're any good. You don't know if they're, if they're going to upset you because they're terrible or upset you because Wow. They're late or any number of things that bands are upsetting with. Fair enough. I, I don't get upset with that kind of thing. That's it's fair. just, I, I don't like some of the younger guys in their whole is it the show up for the first gig. Well, I don't know. Is it, is it the expectation that they have that you're going to be out there and supporting or is it, or is it just the, just they're generally annoying? I think it's mostly the notion because, I mean, I've, no one's ever come up to me and said, stay, or you have to stay because you've been here for the first three bands and we only got two more left. It's just like, no one's ever stopped me. And if they did, I think they would really get a piece of my mind because yeah. it'd be one of those moments where the asshole within <laughs> yeah. could no longer be held back. <laughs> Um, so how how late how late will, would you stay out I don't know like there's certainly times where I will stay because I'm having a good time but I mean if I've seen the band that I want to see and none of the other bands that are currently playing like do it for me it's just why 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 would I stay yeah is there is it is it pretty subjective based on your response to the following band type of thing? Like once you've seen the band you came to see, is it pretty subjective based on your response to them or the following band? Or is it, it is they, it more just a you know, maybe this band is okay, but I really gotta you know, I really feel like I gotta go or it could be a mix of the two. Uh like there's certainly times where like I I show up and I see a band I really like and like I didn't know, but end up being like really good on stage, having really cool songs, stuff right. like that. You know, I, I enjoyed that moment of discovery. Like I found the band, the shining that way because I went to see Dillinger escape plan. Oh yeah. One night. And I enjoy the shining cause I don't know. I was in like a really King Crimson <laughs> kick at the time. And 
they played 21st Century Schizoid Man. Nice. And they actually have a sax player in their band. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the vocalist <laughs> plays sax. And, like, he he could do it to the point where it's just, I don't know, he, he kind of gives the saxophone like a punk rock feel, I guess, is how I would describe it. Right. Because he will blow in it so hard that it's just screeching. <laughs> Awesome. But it's still musical, sure. So yeah, he, he had they have a couple songs with like a saxophone solo, and it's really just him playing like four or five notes, and like the occasional really, really pushing air into the saxophone. Right. And they cool. had pretty good energy too. That helps. But, you know, I, I got excited for that band. Well, and, and, and that's, that's... And I ended up staying, like, pretty late because of that. That's one of the... Uh, to tie that back to the, the Battle of the Bands thing, um, and that, that's one of the things that's so seductive about... about just being an energetic band is you don't really have to be... You don't really have to be a better band. You can just be... You know, you bring a lot of energy and people tend to respond to that. Yeah. Right? Um, so how, how would you, knowing that that's something that as a musician you're not interested in, in a competition well, based on popularity or... I don't like Battle of the Bands in general. But they're, but they're a nature, like they're, they're, part of, they're part of the industry. Oh, I know they're a part right. of the industry. I just, I, the whole concept of them doesn't make sense to me. I guess. How does it not make sense? Because you're, the whole point is who is the best band in this group of bands that we have? So you have to make it objectively who is the best, but how do you make an art objectively Objective, better? Yeah. So how, how would you, what, what kind of criteria would you put on that? Uh, I mean, I don't disagree with having like crowd interaction being a part of it, but I, I don't like that majority of these battle of the band type things put so much emphasis like to the point where if you're just you could be a less talented band but because y you get a crowd more excited about you you win by default yeah and i don't necessarily agree with that i mean there's a thing to be said about that band being able to do that and and that's, that's great that's that's part of the skill set of being a good band is having the right kind of energy to to connect with your audience, right? Yeah, but there should be more than just that being pretty much the guaranteed way to win. So how would you how what other factors do you think should be involved in this? Ideal world, you know, or ideal situation. Yeah. What kind of factors would you objectively apply? Yeah, it's so weird because again, you're you're objectively saying this is better or this band is better than this band. But so, so, okay, and it, it's a very difficult thing to do. Let's let's remove let's remove the artistic side of it because because at 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 a fundamental thing, the live performance for most bands isn't about art. Right? Because okay, like, like, sure. like, like the songwriting, 
might be might be more the art and on some levels the performance can be part of the art but um but there's there, there's a lot of you know so so let's say let's say let's say we're judging a uh, a, a contest between four cover bands okay okay and so so art isn't specifically part of it because they're not playing their own their own works they're just they're you know they're more than just a live jukebox but they're still just playing other people's works okay i was going to say like if it was a mix of originals and covers then uh, that's a part where it gets really murky cuz then you have to decide what do you yeah it 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 takes a special skill set as a judge to be able to separate i like this versus i don't like this because i'm responding to the art yeah. right or or to judge this art versus that art one of the one but of the as a competition type of thing you would have to then decide if you are going to have a mix of cover bands versus original bands will <laughs> objectively which is it as a competition that you're wanting to benefit are you wanting to benefit songwriting then maybe the cover band should get um a handicap because they choose songs that are going to be well more well known right whereas the band that has their own original songs maybe has an easier time yeah and, and and that's another thing of why I don't like battle of the bands is because cover bands usually are the winners because they could just pick a set of like hit songs that everybody's going to just love and adore and yeah. play them moderately well. I've seen bands. I've seen bands that just win because they picked one cover song that people know. You know, and they do original songs plus this one cover that people respond to really well. And the judges don't factor that that gimmick in. Yeah. Hell, I, I even want to battle the bands as an 18-year-old doing that kind of thing. Played a song called Blasted on Acid that was a that was a college radio hit at the time. <laughs> and it was all about getting fucked up. And uh, to a bunch of kids. That's... Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. When clearly we weren't the better band. Yeah. Anyway, so... Anyway, if in a theoretical world where it is a battle of the cover bands, yeah. um, then I guess how well the band performs together would be an objective thing. Like, that... like, like, like tightness and... and how well rehearsed together they are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then performance, how well they interact on stage. Are they just standing there staring at their <laughs> instruments? Yeah. Or are they like interacting? Yeah. Entertaining. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I somewhat agree that audience should be in there, but it should be <clears throat> such a small part like maybe worth half the points of any other category. Okay. In my opinion. <coughs> As so that it doesn't offset. Right. Um, what else could be there?
I don't know. Cause the, I don't focus on that at all. And to me, like a lot of the bands that I do interact with now, it's like they put on their own light lighting shows and stuff like that. But <coughs> do you consider that in a battle of the bands or is the people putting on this competition going to provide that? Right. Yeah. Let's assume, let's assume that the theatrics of their of the show have to come from the people on stage and not okay well then that would be a category of like i guess you could call it the theatrics like That's did they have right, yeah. a light show if so was it timed well with what they were doing that would take it along take it a lot farther yeah um but, but then, of course, but then, but then, can you penalize someone for not having the budget to be able to put something like that on? Because yeah. it's for for some people, like even myself, who you would think would know better. I don't understand lighting and and the cost of lighting and the time commitment to put that uh, that would have to go into Talk lighting. Talk to Corey. It's, yeah, yeah, right. Corey's <laughs> got his own lighting. Like Corey, boss or boss A, I guess is how you actually pronounce it. But right. I'm so used to calling him, him just boss. Hey, boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> He he's recently invested in a bunch of lights and programming them and stuff like that. And they he seems like the kind of guy that would do that too. Well, he he's he's a person where if he finds a new instrument, he wants to learn how to play it. Like he he knows how to play a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. Speaking of lights, I have seen more shows than I like to think that I've seen. Over the last since I started the studio, mm -hmm. the only ones that stand out are the ones where something different happened. And in, wow. in in two cases, in two cases, it was a light show. One of which was completely black on stage, except for a light trigger that was just just simply like random exploding, not random, but um, different exploding white light strobe type effects that the singer, the lead singer would stomp on as he's, as he's doing it, as he's slam dancing on stage or whatever. Okay. But it was all controlled by foot pedals that he had around him that, okay, now it's time for, I hit these two and the lights explode on the drums. It's just like this big white and no, didn't want front house lights or stage lights or nothing. So that was really cool. And then the fonts, a local act um, that that had their own light show, pre-programmed with tr with foot triggers as well, um, that they would they would set up big panels behind them. And I don't remember. I remember liking the music that the fonts were playing, but I don't remember what they sounded like. Okay. But the light show made them stand out. And of course, the other band was was that that metal band out of Toronto that was four, all four dudes in the band were screaming <laughs> and often in harmony. It was pretty cool. Anyway, sorry. Uh, well, Corey's got moving heads and stuff like that for his light show. Yeah. And he went full out to like programmed his entire new record. <laughs> and then he then like, I don't I don't know all the details. I just know that he has MIDI information being fed to his lights 
as well as a click track from the computer that's being fed into their in-ear monitors and they have like certain things pop up okay so that they know where they are in the song and they they, i don't know it's things that they only hear like they 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 actually nicknamed this thing alfred because it is a british guy and he'll be like (laughs) next section begins in three two one (laughs) then it'd be the next section that's fantastic they're the only ones who hear it on stage (laughs) as a sound guy i wish i had i I would love to have that at least like listening headphones that'd be hilarious well yeah yeah (laughs) and the way Corey talks about it is like they'd be off by like an eighth note or a whole beat off or something like that and so and i guess they had practiced to the point where like if they were two bars off how can we shorten what we're playing on stage so that we catch up to the light show right that's cool it was it was interesting hearing what they did because like they had a show and it was quite literally just uh, I don't. I, I completely lost what I was saying. When is there? Uh, have they set a date for the CD release? Uh, they're having issues printing to get mastered right okay. now. From what I've been described, and I, I, I'm hoping that my idea worked out for them because they are having a an issue with a section of the album. It only ever happened when they tried to print out the full album. Okay. So I I told them, why don't you print that section? Because you're saying that if you print the section alone, you don't have that problem. Print the section, re-import it, and mute that section from the original mix down. Yeah. And just have the new print down there. And then print that. That's a great idea. I'm I'm hoping that idea works. In theory, that should be sample for sample accurate anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they were having like a distortion problem or something with it. So I was thinking if you print it down to a stereo track, import it into your session, and then mute what it's taking place of, and then just render from there, it it should not be a problem anymore unless there's something interacting with the tracks Mm -hmm. that is boosting the signal or doing something that would cause it to have that distortion-like effect. Um, is that, is that like a, like a Reaper problem, a DAW problem, or is that, Uh, I don't know. It it sounds like, I don't know. It it could be a number of things that are happening, but it it was really weird hearing about it because it is quite literally, it only happened when he tried to print down the album as a whole. But individual tracks or individual sections were no problem. Yeah. If he shortened where he was and only focused on that one section and printed that the problem didn't occur. So that's cool. Unless there's something going on in previous tracks that is causing it to are they do doing, something. Are they doing vinyl? I don't know. I think that'd be cool if they did, but I, I would like vinyl of their record. I've decided, but which version? <laughs> that's fuck. That's gonna piss me off. That's gonna piss me off. <laughs> if I am, I'm totally gonna lose my marbles 
when one of them asks me, which version do you want? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think it'll be like that. Yeah. Hopefully I start laughing at the end of my rant if they ever ask, but I don't want them to think I'm actually angry at them. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it is whatever. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, talk to Tyson. Oh yeah? Yeah. He's been, has he, has he really been selling things off as, as thoroughly as it seems? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a like a day job. I thought he had a lead on a day job. Uh, he did, and he's hoping. At least when I talk to him, he's hoping that it, it pans out. Uh, but you know, yeah, yeah, you're in that. Excuse me. You're in that situation. You you, you don't. Hold your breath for something that you th hope hope will happen. Yeah, and I mean he he's pretty well aware that <coughs> with how our economy is, that there's a lot of people with his experience that are willing to work for peanuts right now. Oh, yeah, poor guy. I feel bad. I I feel mostly bad that he is selling off all this gear that he's going to have to rebuy. Yeah. Right. Um, like he sold his entire mic collection. Well, he's... Or he's trying to anyway. Well, he went to us and asked us what we're willing to give him for his uh, Audix D4s and D2s. Yeah. Which I, I think is fair price for what... Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's in a pretty rough... Yeah. Spot. Or at least it seems like he's in a pretty rough spot. Yeah, and and he's one of those he's one of those guys that's bent over backwards to to not put other people in rough spots like that, um, and fuck, you know, just to to see to see him have to go through that that's pretty shitty. See anybody have to go through that, you know? I mean, luckily Long McQuaid, like he he's got a such a relationship with Long McQuaid that he just pretty much talks to one of our accounts guys, and we're just like, yeah, okay, whatever, yeah. Yeah. We know you'll pay us. <laughs> and that's that that is one of the things that makes L and M pretty awesome. What that our accounts guys are pretty well like forgiving and not Yeah, well like Unless you screw us over and then we will serve you papers. Right. But I mean that that's just good business, right? Yeah. And and the fact that they've taken a let's be friendly to our customers until they push us too far type of approach has to have earned them a ton of goodwill across the country. Well, and, and the fact is, is like, even after we sue you and then you pay off your account, we're after that, we're willing to do business with you still. Yeah. Cause you paid us what we owe. It's just, we probably will not let you first thing get like $10,000 worth of stuff. So it's like, no, because <laughs> yeah. the last time this happened, yeah. you weren't able to pay. We want something smaller and yeah. probably a significant down payment, but we will finance with you again. Well, and, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, or at least that's how it's been explained to me is like, you owe us money. We chase you for it. Gets to that point where we don't want to do bit further business at the moment until you've paid off your account. Then we're after that's done, we'll work with you again. Point is L&M is awesome. Yes. Yes. 
All right. So that's it. We have five seconds to go. We'll see you next time. And we that'll be next week, I guess. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.